Good morning, good morning. Thank you guys very much. If you're a student, you're dismissed to go with Brother Tommy. Welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm happy as heck to be here, and I'm happy that you're here with me. Uh, my bride's going to take the, the day off. She's got a little bit of a cough and um, doesn't want to... <laughs> doesn't want to cough so anyway <laughs> Robin thank you dear lady um, I asked Robin to read that passage because of that verse I don't know whether it's verse 3 or 4 but it's always been a a haunting verse to me where the psalmist says I'm summarizing Lord I'm in a very bad place and I'm going through a very bad time but Lord, there is no one that cares for my soul. Now I think in Robin's translation it said life, but the, the word there is for soul. No one cares about my soul. And um, I just wanted to talk about that with you just a little bit. Last week we talked about, I do a, some kind of a message, those of you that have been my friend for years you know the first Sunday of January we always uh, are reminded of the importance of reading the Bible through and reading the Bible every day and uh, there's probably 40 or 45 of you in our, for a little church our size um, uh, that have made a commitment to uh, read the Bible every day and to read it through this year and uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that I, that's very very encouraging for me and uh, I'll try to do a different take on it each year you know and uh, last Sunday I, I tried to emphasize uh, that one of the reasons that God gave us the Bible and one of the reasons that God wants us to read it every day and read it through every year is because of our battle with deception we live in a world full of deception we live in a world that is trying to convince us that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. Um, we have an enemy, a big enemy, who is very committed to convincing us of that, to deceiving us, and then we have a, a heart um, uh, that is, the Bible says, above all, above the world and above the devil. Our heart is more committed to deceiving us than anything. And that ought to terrify us and it ought to motivate us to read the Bible if for no other reason than knowing that our heart is that deceptive. And we believe that about everybody else, but sometimes we struggle about believing it, that our heart is, is that <laughs> deceived. But, but anyway, um, and um, I was just thinking, I got up, I've been working all week long on another lesson that I wanted to share with y'all and that uh, Lord willing, Shirley and I'll talk about next Sunday with you. Uh, but I got up this morning and was just, before I started going over what we were going to talk about, I, I was just spending some time with the Lord and um, just on a personal level and I really felt like I, I heard or received from the Lord's Spirit just this challenge this reminder that um, 
It is so important that we have people in our lives that love us enough to speak truth to us. Sometimes at great risk. Uh, sometimes it's very uncomfortable. Sometimes it's scary. But just this need that we have to have people in our life that do care about our soul and that we own that responsibility to care for one another's souls. Um, and I find that word very significant. No one cares for my soul. Not my body. Although I'm, I'm not, my point is not that we shouldn't care about each other's bodies or our bank accounts or our jobs or our hobbies. I'm not saying that we should dissect it like that because I don't think that's what the psalmist intended. But I would, I would appeal to y'all and I would appeal to myself of all the things that I care about when it comes to you. What do I care the most about? Whether or not you drink Diet Cokes or eat, um, what's that kind of food at the grocery store? that Organic food uh, 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 or, or vegan or, or whatever, whatever. Uh, that I, you know, do I care more about how you vote or whether or not you're wearing a mask or washing your hands? And I'm not saying you shouldn't vote or be a vegan or buy organic or wash your hands or wear a mask. I'm not saying anything about that. But at the end of the day, that man, or that person, we don't know, it might have been a lady, she came to the realization that nobody, at least she didn't feel like, doesn't say she didn't have a lot of people from here to the golf course, that were helping her with all these other areas of her life. But at the end of the day, she didn't feel like she had anybody that cared about her soul. And I guess this sort of was, was prompted because I, my, I told y'all, I think last week or maybe the week before, that my daughter gave me a, a Christmas gift, this, this book by N.T. Wright on the Apostle Paul. And ooh, he's a leading, well, he might be the leading Pauline scholar in the world today. And at least one of the top two or three for sure. And um, it is slow reading. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, there's nothing, there's no word in this book that's light or fluffy. Not a word. But it's very convicting. And um, he just has been going through the life of Paul and not so much addressing the facts of what happened. That's pretty straightforward. But why? Why? The why behind all the facts 
about the life of Paul and the letters of Paul and the, 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 the movements and the choices and the relationships and the, 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 the areas of emphasis about why did those things take place. And he spent a little time talking about just, um, well, several different times in Paul's life. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just mention this one uh, briefly, but that the reason Paul even became a Christian was because there was this fellow named Ananias. He lived in Damascus, and he was a, a lover of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And uh, I can identify with Ananias very well because Ananias <laughs> was minding his own business going along and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to him now I'm not was it audible was it visible I don't know that but there was no confusion about who was speaking and what he was saying and Jesus appears to Ananias again I don't know if it's visible or not or audible or not but it, it was that real and the Lord says Ananias there's this fella that's uh, waiting in a room in a house on a street they we the, you can still go to the street this very day you can literally visit Damascus and go to this street they'll tell you which house on the street and eh, I don't know about that but but you can see the street and uh, it's called straight street and there's a man in there uh, that's blind. I blinded him. And he is waiting for somebody to tell him about me. And you're it. And I'm not going to take all our time today to go into all the details about that. But I would just say that Ananias very begrudgingly, very hesitantly, very fearfully went to the, a guy, this man, at that time his name was Saul, in a little, in a, well maybe a year, or maybe a couple of years later, they changed his name to, to, to Paul. But because Ananias went to this man and told him about Jesus, um, the Apostle Paul became a Christian. And because Ananias told Paul about Jesus, I'm, whether you agree with me or not, it's the truth. Because he did that, you're a Christian. You wouldn't be a Christian if Ananias hadn't have done that. And so, let me, let me read this little passage. Uh, well, anyway, before I do that, let me just, let me just say that... Um, because Ananias cared about the soul of Paul, ultimately Paul got from that encounter that he ought to care about the souls of other people. And not, I don't think it's just that he cared about them getting saved, clearly he did. But it was more than that. If you read the life of Paul and what I'm gathering from this book by N.T. Wright, Paul cared about 
the journey of people as well as the destiny of people. And he cared about their spiritual journey, their relationship with God, as much as he did them going to, if you will, going to heaven, which we'll talk about that in a few weeks. I want to challenge you that that's not in the Bible. We don't go to heaven. That's really a, 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 a poorly worded idea and phrase, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, I believe in heaven, but I don't know that we... We believe in it the way the Bible does. But anyway, um, it, just, it just struck me how Paul, because somebody cared about his soul and was willing to go and do something and say something to this man that was incredibly risky, incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly scary and, and Ananias tells God that um, uh, but because he was willing to do that it not only impacted Paul and changed his life it taught Paul a lesson on how God works in people's lives and one of the major ideas behind that is is that God works in our lives in one significant way, not the only way, but one significant way that God works in my life is through Michael, or through Tiffany, or through Chuck. Yes, God can, clearly God does speak to us directly. Clearly God speaks to us through His Word. Clearly God speaks to us through nature and through experiences. I am not in any way minimizing that or denying that. But one of the ways that God impacts you and me significantly is by sending people into our lives who will say very scary, risky, difficult things to us and the other side is God works in people's lives by making us aware that we're supposed to be the goer not only am I supposed to hear what Chuck says or Henry says to me but am I willing to reciprocate am I willing do I own that do I see that um, and we know that Paul uh, well, let, let me give you one more example. Paul also didn't just learn this lesson through Ananias. He also learned it another time, and probably numerous times, but another time that he learned it was when there was a fellow named Barnabas. And if you're reading, if you'll read through the book of Acts, you'll see all these folks. But Paul is living in his hometown of Tarsus. Um, he's really he's a he's a relatively new Christian. There's a lot going on. He's trying to understand what in the world has happened to me. Now I'm reading the Bible in a completely different light. Uh, what does, how, does the, how does the gospel, how does Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection, how does that impact my understanding of the Old Testament? How am I supposed to live? I mean, all this is going on. And so Saul or Paul uh, is in Tarsus trying to 
process all of this. And there's a man named Barnabas who was one of the church leaders at, at a, a place called Antioch. Doesn't mean anything to y'all, but just let me know, let, let you know that Antioch is transitioning from being a daughter church of Jerusalem to becoming the mother church of Jerusalem and all the other churches in the Roman Empire. The church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Rome. Now, again, it's fluid and this changes again and again and again. But at this moment, the church at Antioch is really the center of what God is doing and teaching and his, his work. is that, And Barnabas is one of the leaders there. And things are happening so fast and so big and so amazing that Barnabas, being the humble man that he is, rather than saying, man, I'm going to ride this wave and make my name, he goes, this is way too big for me. Who can I get to help me? I know. And he goes to Tarsus and knocks on Paul's door. Paul's still trying to work through what he's supposed to do. He, he, he's, he's working through all. He's a brand new believer, relatively. And Barnabas says, Paul or Saul, God has gifted you in many, many ways. And he has sent me to tell you that you need to come back to Antioch and help me lead this deal. And because Barnabas was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, Paul could have told him, you are crazy. I, I, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I'm not comfortable. Which is again when people tell me, well, I'm, not com I'm just not comfortable doing that. That probably is exactly, that means that God wants you to do it. God never asked anybody to do anything where they're comfortable. Show me that in Scripture. Show me one person in the Bible that God asked to do something. He says, well, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. I'm good with that. I'm ready, God. No. They were peeing in their britches, scared out of their minds. And that, that probably means, well, that means God wants me to do it. And, the, and because Barnabas went to Paul and challenged him to step up and to do something big and meaningful that mattered, that was scary, that was uncomfortable, you and I are Christians today. The gospel went west rather than east. And because of those two um, incidences, experiences, and like I said, probably many more, Paul got in his mind that that's the way God works. He puts it on his children's hearts to go to other of his children and challenge them to care about their soul. Not just how they eat or what they voting and mask wearing and all these other things that we're so. And are you putting your plastic bottles in your tub out by the street and all that and all these things that I'm sure that's all very, very, very. It's something. It's something. But Paul got it, and he began to live it. And I'm going to read to you this passage from Galatians 2. Let me give you an example of how Paul lived it. In Galatians 2, 
says, when Peter came to Antioch, Peter left Jerusalem and came down, because God was at work in such a mighty way in Antioch, told you that that was becoming the center of Christianity at that time, Peter, the church sent Peter down and said, we got to see what's going on. we got to know what's going on. You go down there and investigate. So Peter goes down there, and this is what happens. Paul is talking about this. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, for his actions condemned him. For earlier, before certain Jews from Jerusalem had come down, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles at the church at Antioch. But when these Jews from Jerusalem arrived, Peter stepped back and separated himself from the Gentiles for fear of those that were from Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians. The other Jews at Antioch joined into his hypocrisy, and it even led Barnabas, Paul's mentor, it even led Barnabas to do the same. When I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, <laughs> Peter, you're no longer following the, the, the dietary laws. You're no longer living by all the minutiae of the Mosaic law. You're not living by these laws to earn God's favor. If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, if you who are a Jew are living now by grace, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? To, you're, by, when you said that you were, when you started stepping back from the Gentile Christians because these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem had come down to, to see what's going on, and it made Peter nervous. What are they going to think about me? And so he stepped back. He said, um, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentiles, we know that a man is not justified by obeying the law, but through faith in Christ. We have believed in Christ to be justified by faith and not by obeying the law, because by obeying the law, no one is justified. My point today, and there's a lot we could talk about in that passage, but my point today is rather simple. Paul cared about Peter's soul. But that's that's Peter. He's one of the dead gum pillars of the church. Paul cared about Barnabas' soul. He witnessed them going off the straight and narrow. And he understood the impact that that was going to have on their lives and on the lives of lots of other people who were influenced by Peter and Barnabas. And so Paul went to the literally the, the, the most significant person, leader person in the church, Peter, and he went to Barnabas, his mentor. And he said, guys, y'all aren't doing right. You've gotten your eyes off the ball. You've let your fear of what some people from Jerusalem uh, uh, think cause you to behave in a way that is not right. Paul's impact upon Peter and Barnabas and on the church at Antioch 
literally defined for centuries. It nailed down and it defined for centuries the early church's belief that we have found favor with God not through our behavior, not through what we eat or don't eat, through what we wear or don't wear, what we say or don't say, how we look or don't look, who we hang out with or who we don't hang out with. We have found favor with God not through our actions, our sacrifice, or any. We have found favor with God through what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And that defined the New Testament church from that day literally to this. Peter's leadership, his theology, the churches he planted, the letters he wrote, the examples that he set, the dangers and suffering that he endured, all of that was made possible because somebody, the Apostle Paul, cared about Peter's soul. All would have been lost. I'm telling you, all would have been lost had it not been for Paul's willingness to be courageous, to take risk, to show care and concern for the soul of Peter. A man, a church, a movement in our world was impacted because somebody spoke up. Somebody looked another brother or sister in the face and said, Hey, think about what you're doing. Whether it's to do something they need to do or they need to stop something that they ought to stop. And I would just ask you to go with me real quickly. I'm just going to take a minute to run through the Bible and think about the impact that people have had on others because they were willing to speak up. I wrote down, well, just the, probably the best example of all in the Bible is David, a man after God's own heart. Well, how did David become a, have you ever asked yourself, how did David become a man after God's own heart? How did that happen? I would challenge you to consider the possibility that one of the major reasons that David became a man after God's own heart was because there were people that cared about his soul. And they went to him and they spoke truth to him and it changed the trajectory of his life. I think about Abigail, that lady that was married to that rat Nabal. And uh, David, he met, Nabal made David so mad, David was going to come and kill him, dead as a doornail, and every male in his family. And for a woman at that time to go and confront a warrior like David was unheard of. It was crazy. Nobody would have done that. But this lady, bless her heart, I, I, I'm, I'm madly in love with her just because she, you can just see she, she didn't care. She didn't care what the norms were. She didn't care what the rule was. She didn't care what everybody else thought. She went and she said, David, you're better than this. And you will regret doing this. And it will affect your life 
profoundly if you do this. And David's life was changed. I think of Jonathan, Saul's son, who went to David on several occasions and spoke very strong, not necessarily negative words, but strong words, challenging words about what was going on in David's life and what David needed to do and what God was trying to get David to see. And because he cared about David's soul, David became a man after God's own heart. I think of Nathan, Nathan, I think of Samuel, I didn't even think of Samuel earlier this morning who went to David on numerous occasions, but I'm thinking about Nathan the prophet. When David, David stumped his toe, David got off track, David fell in ditches just like me and you. And God put it on Nathan's heart to go to David and challenge him, to confront him, to rebuke him. And because somebody, why did he do that? He cared about David's soul. I think of Mary, you know, we just went through Christmas and we read about Mary's impact upon Elizabeth and Elizabeth's impact upon Mary and how they, they both were in incredibly precarious, scary, risky, difficult, uncomfortable situations and how they both spoke words to each other that gave them strength and hope and faith. Why did they do that? They cared about each other's souls. I mentioned these other ones already. Let me just read these verses to you in conclusion. Wisest man that ever lived said, a person with many friends, got more Facebook friends, friends than, uh, or clicks or whatever it is, got more of the, than anybody else. A man with many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, we would like to apply that to the Lord Jesus, and I'm not saying that in the vast scheme of eternity, God's not thinking about the Lord Jesus being a friend to us that's closer than a brother, but I don't think that's what Solomon was talking about. I don't think he had any idea that that was the furthest thing, what he was talking about is that there are people that God puts in our lives, if we'll let them, who love us even more deeply and richly and devotedly, if that's even a word, than even our closest family. Will we receive that gift and will we become that gift? Chapter 27 of the same book. The faithful wounds of a friend are more valuable than the kisses of an enemy. Chapter 17 of the same book. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. There are going to be moments when we are in a battle, an emotional battle, a spiritual battle, a financial battle, a, a physical battle. We're going to be laying in a hospital bed. Or we're going to be standing in divorce, sitting in a divorce court waiting for the lawyer to call, the judge to call our name. 
or we're going to be sitting at the police station or the morgue because someone in our life is messed up or no longer with us. And are there people, are there people that care about our souls and will be there for us at those moments? Paul says, stop lying and living in deception and start speaking truthfully to your neighbor, your friend, your brother, for we are all members of one body. And yet, I would challenge you to consider the possibility that I speak more lies and deception to most of you than I speak truth. I just don't want to be that, I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to be that vulnerable. I don't, I, I, I don't want to be that uncomfortable. And I would dare say that you're in the same boat. Jesus said it this way in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. One of the ways that we lay down our life for our friends is we become vulnerable, we take risk, we say things that are uncomfortable, that are scary, and we lay down our life in our willingness to receive that as well. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage each other and build each other up. You know the term build each other up? That's, an archa- that's a, a construction term. You know how you build something? With a hammer. With a drill. With a saw. This isn't, oh, how are you, Brother Michael? God bless you. Hope you've had a good day. See you later. No. Construction people do things to those, mater- those raw materials that are incredibly painful. If those materials could talk. That's what God is wanting us to do with one another. Ecclesiastes 4 says, If a person falls down, a friend can help him up. But one who falls alone is in real trouble. I've, some of you have heard me say this before, but um, I'm just thinking about how in my life, uh, when I first became a Christian, I told you this last week, Shirley's dad, um, I hadn't been a Christian just a, just a few weeks, and he took me aside and he said, uh, dude, you want to be a success, his exact words were, you want to be a successful Christian? And I said, yes sir, I really do. He gave me one of those Bibles, he said, I want you to read this every day. And if you'll read it every day, at the end of the year, you'll read through it. And I want you to promise me that you'll do that. Well, I didn't, you know. I said, yes, sir, I'll do it. But, I mean, that's like... But consistently, consistently, he would remind me. He would ask me. He would challenge me. He would lovingly rebuke me. Until over the years, it became a part of my life. 
Why did he do that? He didn't have some kind of a, you know, he didn't get some kickback or a, bo- a little piece of paper, a cardboard piece of paper on the wall where he would check off one more. He cared about my soul. He cared about my soul. Not just at that time, I was, I, Shirley and I, we just started dating, but I was just her boyfriend. We, you know, he didn't have any long time interest in me. And, uh, but he, he cared about my soul. And Shirley and I had gotten engaged, I guess, several years later, four years later, I guess. And we were at a party at uh, her parents' house, a big, they, Sherry's parents used to throw these huge 80 and 100 people parties often. And that was, that was their deal. And I, some of you have said this too before, but uh, um, Shirley and I were at this party and she said, I came from a, 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 a societal type thing, a society, a culture where men speaking rudely and abruptly and harshly and meanly, uh, just the way it was. And uh, I grew up at the White Haven Country Club and they, men talked to their wives just like they were dogs. And I grew up like that. I grew up around that. And uh, we were at this party and uh, 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 Shirley said something to me and out loud, I don't even know what you said and I don't even know what I said, but whatever it was, it flew out of my mouth and it was rude, it was harsh, it was abrupt, it was unloving. And uh, uh, another man who we actually went down and saw, the reason I was even thinking about this is Shirley and I went down to Oxford a few days ago, which I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for going down there. But anyway, we went down to Oxford and uh, to visit a, a, a family, a couple that uh, Bob and Martha Whitwell and um, he's a judge down there. And um, anyway, Mr. Whitwell, he knew me a little bit, but he heard me say that. And uh, oh, in a two or three days, he said, hey, you meet me for lunch. I said, well, okay. And he took me to lunch and he said, Larry Ray, I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. And uh, the other night you, you said something out loud to Sherry that was rude and harsh and mean. And uh, I just want you to know that, that that has no place in the vocabulary of a, of a person that, of a man that knows the Lord and loves the Lord. And you don't need to do that. And he wasn't angry. In fact, he had no reason to do that except he cared for my soul. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, I got an email, you know, I sent most all of y'all a little thing there a few days before New Year's that said, I want you to join me in reading through your Bible with me. And I sent it to, oh, I probably sent it to 150 people, 200 people maybe. And one of the people, one of the people that I sent it to, mom, was a lady named Delita Young who lives down in North Mississippi and uh, Shirley taught with her at SBC at the time. And she and I are big buddies. And um, I sent that to her. And here's what she said. She sent me this email back. She said, Larry Ray, 
thank you for encouraging me to read through my Bible this year. I started reading through my Bible many years ago when a guy named Charlie Brand challenged us to do this in our Sunday school class. And I've been doing it ever since. And now I challenge the ladies that are in my Sunday school class to do the same thing. His legacy lives on. Do you and do I have people in our lives who don't just talk to us about our goth handicap or how many deer or ducks we shot or about our ski boat at the lake or COVID or the uh, Washington, D.C. I'm not saying all those things don't have a, a place. But do we have people in our lives that care about our souls and challenge us? When's the last time you read your Bible? What are you reading in your Bible? When's the last time you came to church? When you come to church, what are you thinking about? Why are you going? Why aren't you going? Seems like God is blessing you so abundantly. What are you using that money for? Just to make your life one molecule more fun? Or are you changing the lives of other people who are in genuine need? And there's a million other things you could say. I'm just giving you some examples. Do I have people in my life like that? Do you? If you don't, why not? Do I embrace that role in other people's lives? And if not, why not? Do I have people in my life that I see as such a treasure, such a gift? Do I value them? Because they're willing to do that. Do those people know how I feel about them and how valuable they are? And that my success, if I have any, I owe to them. Okay. I think I've made my point. I'm not rebuking. I'm not scolding. But I am declaring to you that one of God's... I heard a guy say the other day, man, it was so good. Dang it, it was good. I, I hate people being so smart. I, we, I do. This guy said, in the West, the name, your name that matters most is your first name. In the East where the majority of the world lives and the part of the world where God, Jesus came from, the, your name that matters most is your last name, your family name. Why? What does that say about us? What, I'm Larry. It's me that matters. I'm individualistic. I can do it on my own. It's, uh, there are other parts of the world 
that are way smarter than us who recognize we have to do this as a community. We need each other. We need each other. Or we're not going to make it, or we're not going to make it well. Maybe we'll make it, but we won't make it well. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And um, I want to just invite you, if you'd like to, I don't think you ought to take the Lord's Supper every time we offer it. There should be times when God is dealing with us and we know He is and we just need to sit and listen or talk to Him. And we can wait till next week. But if you feel so inclined, I invite you in just a moment to come. If you would, try to come this way. Don't come that way. Come this way, if you will. Um, that way we won't have a traffic jam. And then go back that way, if you will. But to come and take that which represents the body and the blood of Jesus and um, eat and drink and remember what He did for you on the cross. Isn't it significant? The very when Jesus began His ministry, when Jesus started out His calling, the very first thing He did was surround Himself with some people. He recognized the importance of being in community, being a part of a team, being a part of a group, and going through life with them. If the Son of God needed that, recognized that and needed that, my goodness, how much more should we? Um, uh, if if uh, I'm, uh, Mom, you and Brenda going to pray? Y'all going to be on? Okay, I'm going to Brenda. If you and Mom will be on the on the sides, on the wings, if you need somebody to pray with you, maybe you need somebody to pray with you about this, about your willingness to hear from others or your willingness to go and talk to others. To be courageous. To be humble and listen or courageous and speak. Um, if you need somebody to pray for you today, maybe you have a loved one that's sick uh, or something else is going on in your life and you need prayer, they would love to, to pray with you. Okay? Father, Help us recognize our desperate need for others' help. Their rebuke, their encouragement, their wisdom, their challenge. Thank you that there are people in our lives that care about our souls. Help us to honor and treasure them. Help us to be someone who gives care to the souls of others. Please let it be so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.